Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is time for Talk That Talk. It is 10 o'clock on a Wednesday night. So it's our Wednesday edition of Talk That Talk. Talk That Talk radio show records twice weekly from the beautiful Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino from the clubhouse. That's where we are right now. Well, at least that's where I am right now. In this studio alone presently. But that shouldn't be this way the entire show. Again, guys, remember... We're doing this show from the largest Superbook in the world for over 50 years. This hotel was the largest in the world for nearly a decade. If you guys want to be a part of this Westgate energy, you guys can come visit us at 3000 Paradise Road. Once again, that is 3000 Paradise Road, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89109. We got a full show today. Um, as you guys can see, there's an empty seat over to my left, but that will be filled very, very shortly by Sam Gordon, Minnesota's own Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. He should be in joining us shortly. And um yeah, he's gonna he's gonna join us. He's gonna he's gonna uh mix in I shouldn't say mix in rather. He's gonna um come in and pop in hopefully within the next ten minutes or so. And he's gonna discuss the world of sports with us. It's a lot that's going on and we're gonna try to get to it as best we can, uh as quickly as we can. But as we always do, as we typically do, we're gonna open this show up with my mom's tip in. Now, my mom's tip in from today, uh, or tonight, I should say, is one that I really, really like. But we'll see. We'll just, we'll just let it. I think I'm going to make a, a slight alteration to it. Truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. I'm going to say that one more time. Truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. So the thing that I would probably make, the, the slight alteration that I would make to that is confidence, assurance, belief, all of those things as well sound like hate to those who don't possess those, those attributes as well. So I think that is one thing I do want to add to that. However, I think right now is a good time to, to try to get right into it in terms of what's happening in the world of sports. Um, so much, obviously, to, to, to delve right into. And I'm going to take some time right now to talk some local news first. In the local news portion of this show right now, I'm going to actually talk about the Las Vegas Aviators. Let's have some fun with it. So the Las Vegas Aviators are currently 37 and 39. Oh, I lied, I lied, I lied, I lied, I lied. 37 and 35. That's what I lied about. So they're two games above 500. And they split six games with the Salt Lake Bees in, up in Utah. The Salt Lake Bees are currently the fourth place team in the Western Division of the AAA West. So the third place team in the division splits three, or excuse me, splits six with the fourth place team in the division who currently sit two games behind the Las Vegas Aviators. 
just some numbers for you guys in case you guys are following this season along with me. The Aviators are now fifth, or excuse me, eighteen and eighteen on the road now. Just a fact, nothing more, nothing less. The team owns a nineteen and seventeen record while at home, which is where they will be returning for twelve straight games. It's a twelve-game homestand. The team will be hosting the Tacoma Rainiers for six from the Las Vegas ballpark, beginning on. Thursday, so beginning tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll make sure that we're there at Las Vegas Ballpark. Come visit us. Come visit me. And after that six-game series against the Tacoma Rainiers, they will host the Salt Lake Bees. Also, guys, I think it's important to mention that this year's Aviators team is 7-11. and Against the Salt Lake Bees. Yes, the fourth place Salt Lake Bees. More than that, the Aviators have been shut out six times this year. Maybe I'm incorrect in that. It should be five or six. Five or six is, one, is, is the right number. Three of those times have come at the hands of Salt Lake pitching. Just something for you guys to keep note of. Now, the Tacoma Rainiers, this six-game series that's coming up right now, is huge for the Aviators because they have a chance to move firmly in the second place. The team is currently two games behind Tacoma for second place in the Western Division of the AAA West. We shall see how long that lasts. This Las Vegas Aviator team had a chance to make room and make 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 a little a little noise in the standings a couple of weeks ago at Las Vegas Ballpark when they hosted the Reno Aces and the Tacoma Rainiers, which are the first and second place teams in the division. And neither one of those series went the Las Vegas Aviators way. So this 12 game series is going to be pretty big in terms of what this team is going to be able to look forward to in the future. Now, let's talk some baseball trades. It's trade deadline time in baseball season or in in uh in the majors in a major league baseball in major league baseball I should say rather. And le- let's keep it local in terms of the Las Vegas Aviators, their their parent organization, which of course is the Oakland Athletics. So I have two trades I want to talk to you guys about. So the first one, unfortunately, guys, I have to let you guys know of of two aviators that are no longer going to be with the team. The first one, the Oakland Athletics acquired Andrew Chafin from the Chicago Cubs. Left-handed reliever. In exchange for single-A right-handed pitcher, Daniel Palencia. An aviator right fielder, Greg Dykeman. 
Both will be headed to the Chicago Cubs organization. Greg Dykeman is actually joining Frank Schwindel over in that organization who was just claimed off of waivers. I want to say maybe, is that two weeks now? Let's say a week. I lied. Two weeks. However, that trade took place a couple of days ago. There's a trade that took place earlier today that I'll be honest, guys, and you guys know me. When it comes to baseball, it's kind of hard not to get attached. Or I take that back. It's easy rather in baseball to not get attached. Considering how quickly things move and uh, the levels, of course, with the minor league uh, system. However, something took place today, and I, I got to be honest, guys. I'm going to try to get some answers for you guys in the coming weeks, hopefully in the next week. And hopefully I can, I can answer some of those questions that I know you guys may have. This next one, the Oakland Athletics went and acquired Starling Marte. Shout out to our producer who's not in the studio right now, but our Florida man, Salim Dweck. Starling Marte goes from the Miami Marlins over to the Oakland Athletics for pitcher Jesus Lusardo. Now, I had to read the text, or the tweet, rather, a handful of times before it really registered. Now, once registered, I thought about every single thing that Jesus Lusardo has been through. Now, if you guys are unfamiliar, I actually have a story up on TalkThatTalkRadio.com. Once again, it is up on TalkThatTalkRadio.com as the man of the hour actually walks in as we speak. What's going on, Mr. Sammy G? You're the man of the hour. Come on, man. This is your world. I'm just living in it. All right, man. All right, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. How you doing? Pretty good, big dog. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I got another, I got an hour and 48 minutes in me. I think I we can make it work. I think we can make it work. I think we can make it work. I do As too. a matter of fact, you just walked into our local news segment and actually switched it up. I did want to start with the Vegas Golden Knights, but we're switching it up now, and we're talking the uh, Las Vegas Aviators. So I'm not sure how often you uh, cover the Las Vegas Aviators or kind of just look look into what's going on with the organization. And one of the bigger fan favorites in terms of the prospects in the Oakland Athletics organization was traded earlier today. Did you hear about that? I did right now. Oh, man. So, as mentioned before, the Miami Marlins traded away Starling Marte yep. to the Oakland Athletics. And as a part of that deal, I was telling my dad earlier, you don't, especially in baseball, you don't really see one-for-one one baseball trades. No, never. Doesn't typically happen. Doesn't happen. And I told my dad it happened earlier today because Jesus Lusardo was traded away from the Oakland Athletics organization and sent to Miami. Now, as I said before, once again, I'm going to shout him out. Salim Dweck is a Miami Marlins fan. Th those, those exist? <laughs> hey, man. 
I, if he wasn't a Florida man, I don't think it would really work. I don't think he would be. There's no way you have met a Marlin fan not from Florida. I haven't met a Marlin fan. Well, yeah, I, you're right. I, I know <laughs> there's one Marlin fan in my life. From Florida. From Lives in Florida. <laughs> there it is. There, you feel me? There's, there it is. That's the only way it's ever well, going to happen. Just when I turn on the games, there's nobody there. <laughs> you feel me? It's been like that for 25 years. When next time you come back to the show, Shout ask Salim how though. many how many Marlins games he's Shout out Salim. <laughs> but I text Salim immediately and said uh, something along the lines of like, "Wow, you guys stole one." And his response was, "Unless you guys re-sign him." That's essentially a Marte rental for two months. And Jesus Lusardo was under contract until past the 2026 season. Business is business. Oakland's trying to make a run, right? You tell me. <laughs> I, told the, I told the listeners I'm going to try to get some answers for them this week because I know they have a lot of them. But here's the deal, and, and this is where I get kind of – I don't know how to feel about it because originally you you can you can feel how you feel about the trade. Yeah. But you always want to know how the other side feels about the trade. This is something that I heard earlier today. Derek Jeter and Kim Ang, who are both front in the front office for the Miami Marlins. Apparently, Derek Jeter told Kim Ang to ask the Oakland Athletics for Jesus Lusardo as a joke. Mm. Well. And according to this report, Oakland bit. <laughs> and here's the thing that bothers me more than anything. The report says that Derek Jeter laughed uncontrollably for 20 minutes. Maybe he has a good sense of humor. I don't. <laughs> I more. don't. Say more. <laughs> I don't. Because like, as I said before, you, it's, it's hard to, to get attached to anybody in baseball. I was just telling the, the listeners this a, a second ago. It's hard to get attached to anybody in baseball mainly because of the way that the minor league system is and the way that uh, so much can happen so quickly in baseball. And I was letting everybody know that on Talk That Talk Radio, this is something that hopefully – uh, as I mentioned before, Sam Gordon of the Las Vegas Review-Journal, it's just factual. It's just, just me telling facts. When I was there um, during the 2019 season, during my internship, I did a story about his, Jesus Lusardo. And once I got over myself <laughs> in the moment, I called my dad and I let him know that during that story, I pretty much told how Jesus Lusardo was wise beyond his baseball, baseball years. And essentially, I just kind of put everybody into his mind state, which was senior year of college, dealing with a torn ligament, ligament in his elbow, heading into Tommy John surgery, unaware of if he was going to get drafted. He's, re, he's getting ready to rehab for his surgery. His agent tells him that he was drafted by the Washington Nationals. He gets a year full of rehab. He's ready to make his major league debut. He gets another call that tells him he was shipped to Oakland. Mm. Now, in the midst of that call to Oakland, Jesus Lusardo is from Parkland, Florida. Now, if that city sounds familiar, that was the city where the attacks and the horrible massacre 
the shooting that took place at Stoneman Douglas High School. Stoneman Douglas High School was in Parkland, Florida. The day that that shooting took place, Jesus Lusardo was late for a workout on campus. How about that? So I told my dad, just from doing that story, it's kind of hard not to root for the guy. Sure, sure. So again, in, in Jesus Lusardo's words from his Instagram post earlier today, I'm coming home. He's coming home. It all worked out, right? Uh, apparently so. We'll see if it works. <laughs> if it worked out for the Oakland Athletics and their organization in in the future, but it's not the only trades that Las Vegas have been having to deal with recently. Um, okay, go ahead. I know where you're going uh, with this, man. All right, let's talk about it because I'm about to make a lot of Vegas Golden Knight fans mad. Y'all thought I was mad before when I said y'all had to suffer. <laughs> y'all gonna be real mad when y'all hear this. Um. Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury, goaltender. If you ask anybody in the hockey world, they'll tell you, with a, maybe a few stragglers, that man is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Without question. I thought it was. He's doing, doing it a long, long I time. I didn't think it was a question. He's got a big-time resume. <laughs> I didn't think it was a question. Uh, no question at all. Now, as I said before, I told you guys – or actually, we told you guys, everybody who's been on this show and sat in these seats have told you guys, unless a championship was won by the Vegas Golden Knights this year, we expected changes. For sure. A lot of people wondered if some of the, the statements and comments that were made by Pete DeBoer over the last two years, if this one was coming. It had to be coming. The money, the age, the situation – you have a, a, another starting caliber goalie who's six years younger. And frankly, as they discovered a couple months ago, their team's not good enough. They got to do something. They got to shake things up. And they made the most logical move they can. Move off their the face of their franchise and their goaltender while he still has some value, right? While somebody's still willing to take him in that salary because he was awesome this year. The Venzina Trophy winner? Absolutely. Is that how you say that that word? Venzina? I Tyler would be the guy Benzina. to know. <laughs> Tyler, you got it. Best goaltender in the league this past year. He had an unbelievable season, but they had to get some things shaken up. And this is the, the – you heard Brother Mazzone. The game is the game. You did. You feel me? The game's the game. And that's, and that's what happened. This is a, a team, an organization that has been on the precipice of a Stanley Cup since they entered the league in 2017. They haven't got over the hump, and they're making a move that they're trying to get over the hump. Absolutely. And speaking of trying to get over the hump, the funny thing that 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 hit me with it, we said for so long that we felt like, like you said before, not that it needed to be entirely flipped from flipped from the from the uh, top to bottom, but something needed to be done. Something needed to be shaken up. And me, Salim and Tyler, we, we've kind of talked off and on during the entire season. And we've talked about moving from some of those players that came over in that expansion draft. And moving over away from the, the the emotional side of sports and the emotional ties that you have to the players. And as you said before, understanding that business is business. Yeah, for sure. You ready for what I don't like? Go ahead. Now, <laughs> anytime I'm at Las Vegas Ballpark, I'll be honest, and they hear that I grew up an Angel fan, everybody in the building looks at me like, Ugh, that's kind of tough. Now – 
I said before that I was already on the fence for different reasons in terms of the Angels. And I hit my breaking point earlier this year when Albert Pujols was designated for assignment in year 10 of his 10-year contract. Yeah. It's not the way you do living. And I said that then. Here's my problem with what Vegas did, and I'm sure you've, you've heard all about it. It's not about getting traded. It's how you find out that you were traded. And according to, every, to everything that I've heard, Marc-Andre Fleury found out with the rest of us via Twitter. Does he have a Twitter? I don't think so. <laughs> are, we gonna, are we just going to take what his agent said at face value? I'm just asking. I'm not saying he's – I'm just asking. Hey. I'm just asking. All we can do is report what's in front of us. Now, the, and that's what's so interesting about that. And this is where it got weird for me. And this is where I wanted to come in here and probably agitate some 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 Vegas Golden Knight fans. Even more so, there were reports that were coming out, I believe, up to an hour afterwards, that Mark andre Fleury still hadn't been contacted by anybody in the Vegas Golden Knight organization. Now, my only thing with this, I'll let you break down the actual the the details or the um, I should say the aftermath of probably what this trade is going to bring because you mentioned cap space, you mentioned age, you mentioned a lot of different things. And and I just realized we talked about him getting traded and we've never said where he went. Marc-Andre Fleury was traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. Shot town, shot town. Big city of dreams. Oh, man. Gotta go. Now, I don't want to get this wrong. Yeah. Now, I know since he's coming here to Vegas, I'm going to get it right shortly. But I believe that the name is Michael Hakkarainen. So here's what's going on All right, with, talk to with me. my man. Talk to me. There's t- he's sticking with Chicago. That's just transactional. For I'm not exactly sure how it all works. I'm not entirely positive, right? But from what I've gleaned from our reporters at the Review Journal who stay on top of the Golden Knights coverage, that's Ben Goats, David Shane, doing an awesome job. Uh, that was purely just to make the trade work for, for semantics, more or less. They basically just ship Flurry's salary out. Chicago gets their goaltender. Vegas essentially just creates cap space. Hmm. That – Makes it even more interesting. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it makes it even more interesting because, as I said before, especially when I read this trade earlier, it, it rang louder and louder and louder what Alex said before the start of this season. And I believe right as we were breaking down the go tonight, heading into the year, Alex said Marc-Andre Fleury is the locker room's guy. Yeah. He's the city's guy. I don't think he's Pete DeBoer's guy. And that's never been something that Alex has wavered from. At this point, these stories write themselves. Um, Another trade actually took place earlier today as well. A third-round pick and Nick Holden was also shipped to Ottawa. Um, You got something uh, on either one of those topics really quick? Because I do want to get into Robin Leonard's tweet before we move on. Well, it's it's, the Golden Knights just shaking some things up. Yeah, You have to make changes. You're not there. You keep running. You're gonna keep banging your head against the wall. Keep running it back. That hasn't worked. Kelly McCrimmon, George McPhee. It's their job to, to to win a Stanley Cup, not to go to the second round, not to go to the conference finals or the semifinals, whatever they whatever they're called these days. It's their job to win the Stanley Cup, and you had to expect that changes were gonna be made. You just had to. So I'm not I'm not exact. I'm not gonna pretend I know what the what what exactly is gonna ha- how this is gonna affect the team moving forward. I'm, I'm not sure. 
I don't think any of us are. We got to see how it looks on the ice. But what I do know is that you have an ownership group, you have upper management that's goal and that is singular focus is on winning a Stanley Cup. And if they do that, the fans will be okay. They'll be fine. Absolutely. They'll be fine. Winning trumps all. It does. That's always what we've been it told, It does. Right? Winning does trump all. It absolutely trumps all. And, again, that doesn't mean that Marc-Andre Fleury's four years here were insignificant. That doesn't mean he's not an icon in this city because absolutely. he absolutely is an icon. It doesn't mean he's not a hero in town off the ice as well for the way he represented the organization, the way he represented the city during a time of tragedy in 2017. Absolutely. And how we, how he inspired this city by helping that team get to the cup, it just means things had to things had to change. And sometimes you see this in pro sports where, you know, legends, Hall of Fame caliber guys, don't necessarily go out on their own terms. I mean, it's you know from according to the Knights uh, management, he knew that there was a possibility that he's going to be traded. Right? He I think everybody in that locker of room should have knew did. that. Of course they did. So yes, it was was it a little shocking when we when we saw the tweets yesterday morning or when when the news broke for sure. But then you think about it for 10, 15 minutes, like, okay, this makes perfect sense. The Knights are shaking things up. They got to do what they got to do. Uh, and, again, it doesn't undercut the significance of his tenure here. It's just it's some, all good things got to come to an end. And, Marcus, uh, the winner of our Marc-Andre Fleury bobblehead, you better hold that baby close. Man, for um, real. Um, let's talk about it really quick. Let's talk about the other goalie who we presume as of right now is going to be the number one goalie heading into next season, and that's Robin Leonard. Um I think we're still going to do it in hour number one. Maybe it's toward the end of hour number one. We're going to talk a little bit about the Tokyo Olympics, so we're going to get a little more into this. But the tweets from Robin Leonard explaining that he deals with bipolar and deals with PTSD. First of all, as I said before, similar to Carl Nassib, I had a friend actually do this recently, too. Shout out to Joseph Fierro. I'm really starting to like when people come out about certain things and they just say it matter-of-factly. Yeah. I'm really starting to like it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. It's been a long time coming. I'm glad that we as a society – look, progress has been slow. There's no doubt about that. Way too slow. But there has been incremental enough progress where we can accept – and understand that athletes are people, that they go through things, and that they're not perfect, and that they're real human beings. That 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 matters. Absolutely. And we're at a point now where we're seeing athletes be being vulnerable on the biggest of stages. Like you mentioned, Carl Nassib. You want you want to keep it local. Liz Cambage before the Tokyo Olympics uh, has been has been vocal, and of course now Robert Le- Robin Leonard comes out and, and speaks his piece, lives his truth. Why shouldn't he? Why exactly. shouldn't he live his truth? Exactly. And the thing that that kind of sticks out to me about it. And this is in no means like jumping on him because we 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 love the fact that he came out and he was that open about it. I love the fact that he said that he wasn't perfect, yeah. but he's pretty damn good at stopping pucks. He is. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was a pretty a, a pretty dope one liner in there as well. Um, but the reason why that sticks out to me, and as I said before, um, I, I've used Floyd Mayweather as a, as a as an example before, in terms of we all know Floyd has dealt with a checkered past and things of that nature. And what I've never understood was when a person is going through their trials, everybody usually gets to chirping around them. And what I've always told people is, do you think that anything that you tell them in that moment could be louder than what their higher power is trying to tell them? That's what what I've always answered. Now, I say all of that to say, 
we're going to have a little moment of chirping right now. <laughs> so I say all of that to say, when I read that, I commended Robin Leonard for that. For sure. And then I sat back and thought at maybe 30 minutes later, and I said, wasn't this the same Robin Leonard that said that he showed up to the arena early to read tweets? Robin Leonard shouldn't do that. Maybe not. The internet is fickle. It, it, it is. Even when you're on top. It is. It is. I mean, you see a lot of athletes are inactive on social media for that, for that very reason. Marc-Andre Fleury, he doesn't have a Twitter. You know, uh, take the good with the bad, right? Bad with the good. And some people, social media isn't isn't great. That's just what it is. That's okay. Absolutely. And then the thing is, like I said before, and you kind of just talked about it right now as well, bigger than that, bigger than everything else involved, I'm happy that we were able to have these conversations now. And, again, guys, don't make it – or don't feel like we're rushing through this one. We're going to bring this topic right back up with other athletes as well. Uh, stick with us because that's probably going to come in hour number two, depending on how long this boxing geek gets this gets these ner- gets these gets these feelings out. Because I'm gonna be honest, man. Um, I've told this before. I've said this before, rather. Leonard Ellerby frequents the Westgate a lot, and we've had just a couple of conversations. And the interesting thing that I've learned about boxing fans across the board, you know, Sean's a tell. Shout out to Sean. Nerd. <laughs> like, when it comes to sports, we're already nerds about everything. But certain sports, they have their quirkiness. Sure. And boxing is it. And yeah. I thought about you immediately when I seen the question marks behind Canelo Alvarez versus Caleb Plant. And I thought, Sam's not going to like this. <laughs> Why are there question marks? What's going on? Sam, can you in- inform me and the rest of the world of what's going on with that fight? Well, based on um, based on what the reports are, right, Mike Coppinger does an excellent job for you. Not ESPN used to be with the Athletic, doing a great job with ESPN. Um, he had a report yesterday that talks fell through on the final hour, and uh, very unfortunate situation. Uh, Caleb Plant obviously had his comments that that Canelo's team is asking for a little too much, and that's you know me paraphrasing there. But this is what happens in boxing all the time: is you have this marquee fight, right? In this case, unifying all the titles at 168 pounds. Uh, huge, huge, huge fight, huge implications uh, for for both fighters, right? I mean, Canelo Alvarez wants to be the first fighter to unify at 168, and Caleb Plant has always called for the big fights. It's going to be the biggest fight of his career. And to see things get held up at this hour, again, I mean, I wish I could say I was surprised, but it's boxing, right? This happens all the time. So we'll see what happens. It's, it doesn't sound like everything's dead yet per se, but it's not It's not looking good. It's not looking good. And, again, we, 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 we see these sticking points with pretty much every marquee Big fight. There's always something that gets in the way. Look at Fury Joshua. That was supposed to happen. That's supposed to be happening in a few weeks. And, and then you have this arbitration situation. Fury Wilder is supposed to happen. That gets postponed. There's out like that's where that's it's, again, that's, it's not it's not uncommon in boxing. It's just another one of the things. These things are boxing fans have to, you know, here we go again. Right. Here we go again. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens there. You know, I, of course, we'd love to see uh, it. it in today's age, we're starting to see more undisputed champions. We're starting to see – we're getting back to the point where the best fights are, are starting to be made. We had Taylor Ramirez earlier this year. Obviously, Lopez, Lomachenko, big, big, big fights. Love to see fights when they're for the undisputed championship. We had we had the the, uh, the Charlo fight a couple weeks ago. That was supposed to be for the undisputed championship uh, at 154 pounds. So, we'll see what happens. But, again, this is, you know, boxing politics. This is what this, – this happens all the time. Nothing new, nothing to be shocked, shocked at.
And I'm going to give you uh, – I'm paraphrasing here, but John Jones has said something for quite some time. And, of, again, guys, you know how we are here at Talk That Talk. We merge sports as much as we can because a lot of this is intersectional. But John Jones has always said that the biggest difference between the UFC and boxing is what it looks like. One is cage fighting yep. and one is prize fighting. Yep. I'm actually that completely open-ended. You said that we see this in boxing a lot. Why do we? Uh, different promoters, different TV networks. You know what I'm saying? There's, I mean, that that's what I think. You see the best fights be made more and more often in UFC because it's one promoter, right? It's UFC's the promotion, and they kind of, I mean, you have the other promotions. You have Bellator and other ones out there, but more or less, based on how the UFC's evolved, they kind of mon- have a monopoly on MMA, right? So with that in mind, you – most of the world's best fighters, not all, you have great fighters in other promotions, but a majority of the most well-known or the most marketable fighters end up in UFC, and as a result, you're able to make the best fights because you're fighting on one network, ESPN, ESPN+, and you're fighting under one promotion, UFC. In boxing, you have several promoters all linked with different TV networks, and as a result, things get sticky. And hmm. it can, they can be worked through, right? You have Deontay Wilder, who's with PBC, and Tyson Fury's with top rank. They made the fight last year in 2020. They, they figured out a way to with the pay-per-view and all that, the TV networks. They found a way to compromise and the merge. But it's not as easy. And as, as a result, you see the, 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 a lot of the best fights get made when they're in-house, when they're under the same promotional umbrella. Lomachenko Lopez, both guys with top rank. Easier yep. to make that fight. Uh, so that's I think that's a big part of, of why things are, are difficult in boxing and, that, and why UFC has um, – you know, in a lot of ways, surpassed boxing in, in terms of the the main the, the the mainstream combat sport. That doesn't mean boxing can't come back because oh, again, I think you're you're inching back to where it was in the 80s and 90s when it was firmly in the mainstream. But these kind of situations, when you have a stick a stickling point with a big fight like this, where you have the the face of the sport trying to unify his titles at 168, and there are there are there are snags and there are you know different sides and all this. That's why the mainstream kind of casual fans lose interest. It's a big part of it because you don't always get to see the best fights. Where in UFC, uh, there's big fights, it feels like, every month. <laughs> exactly. You know? Sometimes multiple times a month. And I'm going to ask you two more questions, and both of them are kind of connected. Yeah. Give me your percentage in terms of if this fight happens, the likelihood of it happening, and then if this fight does take place, what do you expect? Oh, jeez. I would say at this point, I would say maybe 25% just based on the reporting. I don't, again, I don't think it's dead. I think Canelo obviously wants to unify these titles. It was it would be a, a big, um, you know, it'd be on his resume, right? And and he's very aware of legacy. He's a boxing historian. He knows all those things. So I think he might have to make some concessions, but I, th- I still think there's a chance it gets done. Um, if it does get done, Caleb Plant can fight. I mean, he can fight. He he might not be in the mainstream like like some of these other 168 pounders, but he's very 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 technically sound. He's a good defensive fighter. And he's very, very skilled. Now, does he have the power that Canelo Alvarez has? No. But you don't have to knock somebody out to win the fight. If he can out, but I think, I think he would, I think it's, he provide a bigger challenge than, than most people think just based on, based on his skill and based on his technique, based on how refined he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Canelo, Canelo Alvarez is Canelo Alvarez. And there's only one man he's lost to. That's Floyd Money Mayweather, 50 and 0. He's beaten everybody else. He's taken on the best fighters in a number of weight classes and, uh, if he does, if this fight does happen, that would be an insta, you know case of him doing it again, fighting a champion at 168. So, um, you know, credit credit Caleb Plant. He's he's wanted this fight. He's been willing, according to quotes and like Mike Coppinger's story, he's been willing to to make some concessions to make this fight happen. And and I, again, I hope it does. 
I hope it does. Obviously, there's other options. If, if he doesn't, maybe a, a trilogy fight with Triple G, that, that, that might be on the back burner there. You move up to 175 as opposed to 168 and just hold off on, on trying to unify. There are other options, but this is the fight I think that boxing fans have wanted to see somebody go for history 168 pounds. And this is the fight, unfortunately, that boxing fans might not get. Hmm. I don't even want to think about the idea or the, the half thought that this won't happen. But um, boxing is an Olympic sport, so I think this is a way that we can slowly transition over into the Tokyo Olympics. Um, I, I don't even know who I asked last show, but I either asked Salim or I asked Duna. Have you ever covered an Olympic? No, 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 no. So you've never covered an Olympics, like, actually there? No. Okay, so cool. So you and me are viewing this from the same boat. Do you think it's harder to cover the Olympics while you're there or across country? Probably, I mean, depending on where they are. I mean, this one's, you know, the time the time differences are crazy. This one is tough. Yeah, time yeah. differences are crazy. So. <laughs> I told everybody, like, I don't I, – I, we're all about transparency here at Talk That Talk Media across the board, whether it's the radio show, the podcast, the website – this is rough. <laughs> I'll be honest I with mean, you. It's, 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 a unique, it's, it's a very unique situation with, this, with these Olympics, and I think you're seeing it, how it's playing out. You have a number of people withdrawing from events, COVID-19, all these things. I mean, the, the, the bubble's kind of set up, no fans. I mean, this is a one-of-one one Olympics, and, you know, credit for the, the athletes for, for the sacrifices they're making to make this happen, but I can't imagine that it's the same experience that it was in 2016 or 2012. It just there's no way. How could it be? Right. How could it be? The world's completely different than it was back then. And not only in a good way, but it also could be different in, I don't want to even call it a bad way, but in a, in a not good way is what I'm going to say. And that's kind of where I actually want to start. Marketa Vondrusova, while we should be highlighting her and her victory in straight sets over Naomi Osaka, she won 6-1 and 6-4. I got to be honest, Sam. I feel like I'm, I've, I've been complaining this entire first hour, but it is what it is, man. I think that we need to talk about sports fans and even some sports commentators, analysts, anything, anything else that you want to call us. There's a lot of people that are just celebrating Naomi Osaka's loss. You're saying they're praying on her downfall. Almost. I almost started a whole nother rap in – this is just not this is not sports related. So let me try to center it back and take it away from T Grizzly in Detroit. But <laughs> you caught the reference there. Absolutely. But I, I think that's what bothered me more than anything. I think a lot of people, aside from the fact that you I mean, you mentioned Floyd Mayweather earlier, and we see people bet against Floyd every day behind the fact of just wanting to see Floyd lose. That's not what I got from this. Well, the people, if from my perspective, again, and this is just what I've observed, Naomi Osaka is living her truth. She's pushing back. She's doing things her way. And that's intimidating for a lot of people. It shouldn't be, but unfortunately it is. And as a result, like you said, maybe that's why you feel like you're seeing the reactions you're seeing. I don't know why anybody cares if Naomi Osaka does media or not. Like, who cares? She's an awesome tennis player. If that's all she wants to do is play tennis and not talk, then fine. I get it. We're journalists, right? We want to we wanted to have access and we want to do interviews and things like that, but we we can also you know, there's nuance and perspective that has to go in each and every situation. If if she doesn't want to talk to me, like I get it. Absolutely. I get it, man. Absolutely. I get it. Sometimes I wouldn't want to talk to me neither, you know? 
and and without giving too much, this is what I love about what we do, and we we talked about it last time you were here. You and me, we we talk about it in terms of us crossing paths in the field sometimes. Sure. And the the thing that I love most is we talk about the basketball brotherhood, and it, it's bigger than that because we can talk about the W as well and how it's just a family all the way around. Every sport talks about their family, sure. their 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 family, uh, just ties and family orientedness. Journalists have that too. And the thing that I love is when you get those questions uh-huh. or when you get those, those even those open-ended questions to where it's like, ah, I see what you're trying to do here. I see uh-huh. what you're trying to walk me into. There are certain people that are in media scrums that just lock eyes and they go right back to the athlete. Because this is the reason why they don't want to talk to us. Sure. These are the reasons. So – if Naomi Osaka never wanted to do media again after this week. I get it. I get it. I really do. I get it. I understand it. I can't begin to imagine the pressure, especially with these individual individualized sports like tennis. Oh, man. It's, it's, she's out there alone in tennis. I mean, same thing with Simone Biles. She's by herself. This idea that gymnastics is a team sport, it's not. <laughs> okay? It's not. It's not a team sport. It's an individual sport, and you aggregate team scores. But to, to try and comprehend the kind of – pressure or screw like that she feels I, you can't do it you can't do, I, we won't understand period and you can actually get you can actually get right to that right now because that actually gets us to our next point and it sure. is Simone Biles first of all we talked so much about the progress that has been made um in this world not just this country but in the world in general and every time we think we're making progress Somebody says something as simple as, I don't feel good today. I think I'm going to sit this one out. And the entire world catches on fire. I mean, why? I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. Well, How does it affect anybody's life if she doesn't compete? That's my opinion, right? Would I have loved to see her out? Of course. Who wouldn't? She's one of the the best – forget gymnasts. She's one of the best athletes ever. One of the greatest Period. Olympians that the U.S. Of has ever all had. all time. There's no question about that. Obviously, everybody wants to see her compete, but she doesn't owe anybody anything. She doesn't owe anybody anything. She already gave of herself more than basically anybody deserved, right? She didn't have to come back and do this. Most most gymnasts are done at, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20. Hard on your body, hard on your mind. The training that she's been through, super intensive. Yeah, if, if, if she's not feeling up to it, then that's, then that's just what it is. And I think a lot of people also have, have – brought up in her defense and I'm really happy that they have however we have to be very very careful in doing such as well because a lot of people spoke about the sexual assault allegations that surrounded the U.S. uh, gymnastics team as a whole and what she had to deal with in terms of that and questions and just pressure and scrutiny and just everything else that comes along with it the reason why I say of course I have to do my reporting but I'm only going to mention that once is because things like that can be triggers for people sure so if she already said that she was withdrawing from competition, I think pinpointing the reasons why she's withdrawing is probably ill-timed. That's just me. It's nobody's business. She doesn't have to give any answers as far as I'm Absolutely. concerned. Right? Like, is it – of course, again, everybody wants to see her compete. She's one of the best in the world at what she does, and she's incredible to watch, and she's absolutely amazing, right? We understand all that. Is it is it tough for her teammates? Yeah, I'm sure it is. Right? They wanted a gold medal. But you don't think she did, too? She exactly. went over there for a reason. You don't think she feels disappointed about this, that this happened? 
it's look, it's I, I'm not I, I'm not a big gymnastics expert. I don't want to pretend like I'm this world class gymnastics uh, analyst. Far right. from it. But I know that the things that she does are inconceivable. And if there's something going on where you don't feel like you can perform to the best of your ability, it, you don't want to – serious injury is possible in this sport. Absolutely. If, if she doesn't feel like she's 100% locked in, then, then you're risking injury, period, right? And, again, very unfortunate situation, but she's living her truth, and you can't knock that, in my opinion. And I'm not even going to do it. Like, I'm not even going to say his full name. But there's supposedly – there's this radio guy out there – his last name is Kirk. Did you see that that trending on Twitter? He spoke about Simone Biles, and he called her selfish. He called her whatever, whatever, whatever else. Guys, I need you guys to do me one favor, and I tell my parents this all the time, which is why my parents do tip-ins. I tell my parents before they bring me certain things, check the source from which it comes. And what I mean by that is sometimes you guys bring me something, and you're, like, kind of hyped about it, and I'm like, that's not true. So... We got we to check a couple things. And I say all of that to say, I seen everybody getting up in arms about Kirk and everything that he was saying about Simone Biles. First of all, as I said before with Jason Whitlock, as I said before with any other uh, analyst, there's too many positions out here for us. <laughs> there's somebody that's going to hire them. So that's just that's, that's the end-all, be-all. What I'm going to take from this, take away everything else that he said and just go to his just go to his, his Twitter. In his bio, he said that he was the founder, might be the owner and founder of Turning Point USA. And I'm just going to leave that right there. <laughs> I don't know what that is, and I'm, I don't want to find out. I'm good. All I'm going to tell you is Tommy Lauren and is sponsored damn near by Turning Point USA. That told me everything I needed to know. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, I told I everybody, mean, every time you retweet him, he's smiling. I mean, people, yeah, it's just, you know, this is one of these things that's so polarizing where everybody feels like they got to get an opinion off and things like that. And it's just, it's one of these things where, you know, she, again, she made the decision she felt was best for her. People don't have to like it. It's not their concern. She's not just here for our entertainment. Uh, this goes back to humanizing. She's a human being. She's a person. She's not just a gymnast. Yes, that's what she does. It's, it's how she's built her fame. It's how she's achieved this her, her global status as an icon for sure. But she's so much more than that. And again, I, I'm grateful that in 2021, we're starting to understand athletes are feeling comfortable saying, "Hey, uh, I'm not just a, I'm not just an athlete. I'm a person too. This is what's going on. Please respect that." There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and again, th this oh, she's taking all this criticism now, but next time something like this happens, it's gonna, just going to be easier and easier for the next person who's going through some things at, at an inopportune time. And I do just want to highlight this really quick, and I promise I'm getting out of this. I just want the entire world to remember this when Kyrie Irving opens his mouth next season. That's it. I just want to move on, I promise. Um, it looked bad for the U.S. for a little bit. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, the U.S., and this is what's so interesting about the year that we just came off. Yeah, of. for sure. And I tell my dad all the time, like, we could have our feelings about whatever we feel about what better we can do in this country. But I tell my dad all the time, we're very open about our family. Yeah. In terms of what we could do better as a family. Sure. I still want to see my family win. Sure. Not going to ever root against my family. So I tell my dad, I, t I told my dad that um, 
it looked bleak for a moment for me only because when I got the news that Katie Ledecky didn't medal in the 200-meter free, I'm going to be honest. I looked around my house, and I said, uh-oh. <laughs> I said, uh-oh. I said, the U.S. is struggling from top to bottom. And it for the first time, I think, ever, maybe 04, I really sat here, and I was like, I don't. I don't know what this looks like Yeah. at the end of this. I don't know what this Olympic run looks like and what the conversation about the U.S. is moving forward after this. Sure. And then right as I felt that, Katie Ledecky not only medaled in the next one, but she won gold in the 1,500-meter free, and she also won gold right before we actually started here tonight. And she won gold for um, with the, with the um, U.S. women's team in terms of the relay. So – I think I can calm down a little bit. I think things are starting to align itself a lot better in terms of this Olympic run. Um, we are gonna get briefly, brief. Actually, let's 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 do let's do the three on three really quick. Yeah. Let's do three on three really quick, and then we'll come back. We'll talk Team USA, both women and men's national team, and then we're gonna get into some NFL news. Okay. I'm gonna give you a little chance to pick on me if you want to, and then I'm gonna kick you out. <laughs> Deal? All right. So, um. I'll be honest, the one thing that I do want to kind of get out of the way really quick in terms of this three-on-three, we've talked about it. Yeah. It's new. Yeah. And I told everybody kind of going in, especially with this Olympic uh, run, I, I kind of let everybody know who was watching our coverage on Talk That Talk Radio. We're covering the men's national team. We're covering the women's national team. That's about it for right now. Sure. We're trying to figure out everything else, and as it moves, this three-on-three tournament, now that we have crowned a gold medal winner, we've crowned all of our medal winners, What's your takeaway from this from this three on three style and it being an Olympic? I mean, sport it's now? fun. It's fun. It's yeah. It's it's different. It's new. It's fast paced. It's quick. It's uh, I think engaging for viewers because it's so quick. Right. It, it, it keeps your attention, and um and it offers the players a, a different kind of platform to show their basketball skills. And it just so happened that the last week or so, it was a couple a couple locals, right? Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young. Congratulations to them. Absolutely. Uh, helping America bring home gold. But I think it's great. I mean, why not? It's more basketball, different style of basketball. It allows more people to participate in the Olympic Games, which I don't think is a bad thing. I mean, there's only 12 spots on the on the national team. There's way more than 12 great players from every country, right? Absolutely. Like, there's way more than that. So it gives Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, Alicia Gray, Stephanie Dolson an opportunity to go out there and show what they can do. And what they showed is that – at this style of basketball, that they comprise the best three-on-three team in the country, quite frankly. And this is something that we just had a conversation about earlier today, and somebody was talking to me about the NBA and just the future and what it looks like and what it looks like. And not to sound like I'm completely closed-minded, but they mentioned women in the NBA. And I said, I don't think that works, especially with all the effort that's been going into the WNBA. I don't, I don't see that happening. And as we were having a conversation, I paused, and I said, you know what I could see happening? I can see former WNBA stars going to the big three. Sure. Big three's been here. It's been great. Have you gone? I haven't. Not in person. Oh, it's not yet. It's a good time. It's a good time. It's a fun yet. atmosphere. Yeah, they're doing a great job. Orleans Arena, they'll be back in a couple months. Absolutely. Yeah, they'll be back. And the thing with that is, like you said, it's a new, innovative way, I think, to get a lot of new fans. And basketball is already the fastest growing sport. But if there were any fans out there that didn't understand the game of basketball, it's a lot easier to comprehend when it's not ten people on the court. Sure, but just yeah, easy to follow. It's Again, even the, th the big three games, like fast-paced, playing up to 50, 
I mean, at times, tick, you know, it's just it's moving. It's moving. It's moving tempo. And, um, and again, I think it's a great way to ingratiate more people. It's a great way to include more people in the game. And it's, it's, I mean, if it's fun, people enjoy it, then why not keep doing it? And, right. of course, we got we to gotta shout out the head coach, Miss Kara Lawson, as always. Icon. How do you love oh, – I said, how do you love? How do you like the idea of not having coaches? Not having coaches on the sideline during these three-on-three games. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's different. It's just it's it's different. It's new. It's fun, and I'm 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 here for it. I'm here for it. I really am. And this is the last thing I'm gonna ask you, and I promise we'll get out of this first hour. What do you think happens to NBA teams if they send their coach to the back for one half? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know. I think a lot of teams. I think about 18 teams in the league fall apart. I stand uh, by. Maybe that. more than that. I, again, it's it's, it's a player. It's a players' league. I don't think there's any question about that. But I think at some point. You know, coach helps with accountability and just kind of putting things in place, and it would be interesting. <laughs> and even speaking of that, I think we need to give one more shout out to Miss Kara Lawson for, as you said before, it's kind of hard to preach that accountability and teach that that uh, those roles, even when it is three on three basketball, when you're not there. Sure. So that goes so much to their that speaks so much to their preparation and obviously their basketball IQ in order to bring home the goal. We will be waiting for you. Uh, hour number two. We're going to talk about two other teams that are pursuing gold, the uh, women and men's national team in terms of basketball, and we're going to talk some football news. Guys, I'll finally answer all your questions about Aaron Rodgers and my Packers. <laughs> Stay tuned for hour number two of Talk That Talk. The Talk That Talk radio show records twice weekly from the beautiful Westgate Las Vegas Resort and Casino from the largest superbook in the world for over 50 years. This hotel was the largest in the world for nearly a decade. If you guys want to bask in this Westgate ambiance, come visit us at 3000 Paradise Road, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89109. Once again, that address is 3000 Paradise Road, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89109. This is what happens. I tell people all the time, when you got sports screens around you, everywhere you look. All I'm going to say is Slovenia is going to be a problem if you didn't know before. That's it. Big facts. Um, we touched on it. Last hour, breaking news now, Mike Coppinger, right when we went to the break, um, reporting, ESPN reporting, that talks between Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Plant for their unification at 168 pounds, undisputed championship, are 100% dead. Both guys are going to have to move on for new opponents. If they want to maintain that, se if Canelo wants to maintain that se September 18th date, weekend, Mexican Independence Day weekend, traditionally fights here. Uh, that fight could happen again. Again, this is according to Mike Coppinger, ESPN. In November or maybe later, like the Sergey Sergey Kovalev fight happened a couple of years ago. But if they want to keep that date, if Canelo wants to keep that date, he's got to pivot and find a new opponent. Very unfortunate. I said 25% chance. I guess that is down now. It's not 25% anymore. And I looked at you like you were crazy Man. when I heard the 20 the the 25%, and you kind of looked at me like, "Fam, what?" <laughs> like you asked me a question. Um, at w <sighs> I have so many different things to go about that. I'm gonna let you. Take us with that if you want to give us anything else in terms of boxing, in terms of that uh, that uh, potential matchup. Do you know of any potential replacements for Canelo? Yeah, obviously he would want to still fight on Dimitri Bivol, 175, uh, undefeated, good fighter. Um, not doesn't have the sizzle of a, of, a t of a title unification at 168 pounds, but a very good fighter and will still be a formidable challenge anytime you're moving up in weight. You know, Canelo has fought at 175 pounds before. Right. Uh, knocked Sergey Kovalev out. I was ringside for that one. Um, crazy fight. Ringside for that. It's a little slight flex, you know. But uh, <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be probably the most compelling option, and and that was the name that that Coppinger reported as a possibility. So, you know, Triple G trilogy has been has been mentioned. Although, I, I, who wants to see that at this point? That's what I was gonna say. I I think the the half and half split fan base sure. to begin the the trilogy. It, it wouldn't be that right now. Yeah, nothing but respect for Triple G. But Absolutely. He's, you know, 39 at this point, all right? He was 30, what, 35, 36 um, for the last, you know, the last fight, at which Canelo won, and I thought he won pretty soundly, right? It was a good quality victory Definitely. for him. Now Canelo's in his prime, and Triple G is out of his prime. So that matchup, I, I, don't, I don't think Canelo had quite entered his prime, and Triple G was still in his, and that dynamic changed a little bit. Of course, the big name. Absolutely. Um, a, a Prize which, fight. Would still be an interesting fight, yeah, just in terms of the names, but I don't think it would be as competitive or as compelling as the first two. So that's where I stand with that. But that's all you, man. Um, I'll let you actually choose this one, too. Are we going USA women's or men? Let's start with the women. Let's start with the women. Yeah. Let's start with the winners, right? Um, I seen a tweet earlier, and I, I couldn't help but laugh, man. I sent it to Salim, and it's, it, it was like somebody quoted uh, – it might have been Team USA's tweet – about the women's team beating Nigeria, which yeah. we're about to get into right now. And somebody quoted the tweet and was like, yeah, why are we not talking about them? Unlike those dudes, that's making us look bad. I mean, <laughs> you know how it goes. People right? on Twitter are, are hilarious, first of all. Uh, <laughs> the women's team is doing what they're so far. They're taking care of business. Look, it's been one game. Absolutely. And maybe that game was a little closer than it needed to be. They had a 20-point lead and smoked it and, and end up, it's end up, it's end up, ends up being way closer. But for the most part, they controlled that game, and a large part of that, again, Las Vegas Aces, Asia Wilson. 19 points, 13 rebounds, both team highs, putting in work, doing what she does. One thing I noticed, and, and, and maybe you can speak to this as well, when, when Team USA, when the women were here, when I saw them play Nigeria on the Sunday, a week ago Sunday before mm -hmm. they departed for Tokyo, they're huge. They have so much size, and I think in international play, uh, regardless of what their situation is on the perimeter, and again, great perimeter players, but the strength of this team is their size, and I don't see anybody, especially with Liz Cambage not being on Team Australia right now. Right. I don't see anybody being able to stop their size. I mean, when it, when push comes to shove, they've got several players, not just Asia Wilson. You have Brittany Griner, Sylvia Fowles, Tina Charles, Brianna Stewart, who's on the wing, playing playing the wing at six four. Like you have several players that you can just throw the ball to, and that can force a double team down on the block, that can score on the block, that can make a play, that can create for somebody else, that can draw attention. And at the end of the day, I think that's what distinguishes Team USA from, from these other teams is that they don't just have size. They have skilled size and elite size, and that's going to be really, really hard to stop. And the interesting part about that, you mentioned every name that I was essentially going to mention right now. You mentioned Brianna Stewart playing on the wing, and I kind of was giving Salim the, the imagery behind it, and I asked him quickly. I said, if I told you off your bench you could have Sylvia Fowles or Tina Charles, which one are you taking? And he was like – I don't think really there's a wrong answer there. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, well, it's definitely not a wrong answer if I told you you got both. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, they have the best pigs in the world are all on their team. 100%. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are the – like, if you talk, if you take a look at where the WNBA is at right now, you look at breakdown statistics, those are the all. Those are the four bigs. You know what I'm saying? Forwards, centers, whatever. They have them. They, right. they, they are playing on Team USA. And as a result, again, like, man, just watching that – watching those the, these games – when push comes to shove, they're going to dominate the glass. They're going to score inside. They're going to they can muck the game up. Uh, you, you can draw fouls, get other other teams in foul. There's just so much size out there that I think it's going to be really really hard to contend to contend with for anybody else. And it's so I don't want to say weird, but I told my dad before, and I think I even told you heading into this game. Um, we were at the 
Las Vegas Aces Phoenix Mercury game. And I told you I called my dad the day before, and I told him, like, man, I think I get to see the GOAT tomorrow. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like. DT? I told him, I was like, give me the all-time leading scorer in the WNBA. Yeah. And my dad was like, um. And I keep telling my dad, I'm not trying to show his age, but my dad said Cheryl Swoops. And when he said it, I said, what if I told you she was still playing? <laughs> and my dad said, oh, without question, is Diana Taurasi. Yeah. And I didn't get to see Diana Taurasi play that night, but I told my dad just that that invigoration. And I told my dad one of the biggest things for me, and this is why, like I said, I mentioned everybody on Twitter is funny. There are some of you guys who aren't. Because I want to highlight all the jokes about the WNBA, all the jokes about these women athletes, these athletes in general. I told my dad that Summer League, that Thomas and Mack only got loud three times. And Giannis walked through the building before. And one of the three times wasn't Giannis. I told my dad it was LeBron James. It was Dennis Rodman, and I told my dad it was Diana Taurasi. And I told my dad when Diana Taurasi walked in the arena, I told my dad it was like everybody had witnessed God walk in. I mean, resume speaks for itself. She's been a stone-cold killer for 20 years. You did. <laughs> Getting buckets. And the thing is, the thing that level. I love it, she does it so effortlessly, yeah, and she still, does it so quietly. For sure, still, even at this stage, even at this stage, when she's healthy. Now, I Absolutely. think that's where – you're seeing the age come into play, some of the attrition. It's harder to stay healthy at this stage. But when she's out there and when she's available, she, she's still great. And the thing that I want that this is the, the thing that I love uh, talking to people who also kind of do what we do because I, I've never understood those reporters that are in the back and they kind of get mad when certain questions are asked or they get mad when certain stats are used because there's a million different ways to skin a cat. Yeah. You're going to tell the story anyway. We're all telling the same story. We're all going to tell it different ways. And – one of the things that I kind of highlighted again in my recap uh, of the Team USA win over Nigeria, I pinpointed that Diana Taurasi, I believe she had 10 or 12 points. I think it was 10, but I highlighted when she scored her points. Yeah. And I said that when we mentioned when we say that she's a GOAT and we say that she is the GOAT and things of that nature, it's bigger than just what she does on the court. And that's when I kind of wanted to break down this story because I wanted to talk about when she did it. Team USA struggled in the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. Very beginning. I believe it was four turnovers in the first three and a half minutes. Slow start, for sure. That first field goal didn't come until about four minutes into the game. That first field goal was scored by Diana Taurasi. Got the party started. In the second quarter, the team was down 25-20 to 20 and went on a 5-0 run in the midst of that 23 nothing run and tied the game at 28. Or excuse me, excuse me at 25. Diana Taurasi knocked down a three to give the team the 28-25 lead that they never relinquished. Yep. These stories write themselves. She's still great. Yeah, when she's available, when she's healthy, when she's active, she's still great. What's she going for, her fifth gold? Something like that? Fifth Fourth, straight. Fifth? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 a lot of the attention is on the, the, the American men. But you took it. I mean, the American women, dynasty. They're doing this since 96. Gold medal 2000, gold medal 04, gold medal 08, gold medal 2012, gold medal 2016. And they're uh, breaking news. And in case you guys don't know what just, <laughs> what he just said right now, that means that they haven't lost since 1992. They're going to they're win gold in 2020. 20, I mean, 2021. It, you know what? Can I, it's on the, it's it drives on the, me, the court as 2020. That dri drives me nuts. <laughs> it's not 2020. It's not at all. It's 2021. It, it's, it's bothered me so much. So can we talk about it as a whole? How much 
are we going to admit right now that Tokyo saw that floor layout and said, we're not changing that. No, we're not changing that. <laughs> we're not doing this twice. We're not doing this again. Bring it back in 2024 and we'll do it again. But no, as of now, you guys are going to play on this one. <laughs> I can't say I blame them. That's just me. Uh, what else do I want to talk about really quick? Actually, I do want to talk about something else. We're not going to mention the one for a time go uh gold medalist on this team and not mention the other and the other of course is Sue Bird flag bearer American talk about it American flag talk bearer, about right? it I mean same thing speaks to her stature uh she's been great this year in the WNBA and still you know still I mean is there anybody better at running a team no she's running a team no right she's me and Salim had the conversation about Don Staley and Greg Popovich and of course neither one of their jobs are easier but we talked about who had the job or who had easy who had an easier job out of the two and when me and Celine were trying to figure it out, I told him my answer is simple. Give me the team that's led by Sue Bird. I, mean, I don't really care what else is around. Well, <coughs> bless. Of course. Excuse me. To your point, Sue Bird, what is she? Table setter, right? What is Chelsea Gray? Table, Table setter, setter. Right? They don't care about getting their buckets. They just want to run the, get the ball where it needs to go, run the show. Order, right? If things get chaotic, we're going to create order. We're going to distribute the ball. That's what they do. That's what they do at the highest level. It's right. what Super has been doing for 20 years. It's what Chelsea Gray has been doing for 10, going back to her days at Duke. And the one thing that you mentioned, when you mentioned table setter and you mentioned calm, it's a calming presence. Diana Taurasi had a moment last night where, of course, you, you mentioned the Nigeria yeah. uh, getting back into the game and only losing by nine at the end of it. Diana Taurasi had a moment where the team was kind of out of whack and she – it looks like, I believe it was the, uh, Brianna Stewart. She threw a pass behind her, and it went right out of bounds. In that moment, you saw Sue Bird grab Diana probably as quickly as I've ever seen it. And as soon as, soon as she went to the huddle, she looked at everybody and said, calm down. You know what I'm saying? And, and to, go, to go back to the point I was making, table setters on the women's side. You, ha you, have your great bit, you have your elite talent up and down the roster. Everybody's great. You have the best players in the world for the most part. And certainly the best players in the country for the most part, right? Obviously, there's other names that are more than deserving of being on the team, but there's only 12 spots. Right. Take a look at the men's roster, right? They've lost a couple exhibition games, lost their opener. What don't they have? A table setter, okay? They don't have one on the team. That's no disrespect to the primary ball handlers they have. Obviously, Dame Lillard is one of the best players in the world. Absolutely. There's no question about that. Obviously, Drew Holiday just won an NBA championship. Amazing two-way player. Ken is more than capable of creating for other players. But who... Is whose priority is creating for other guys and running the team? They on don't a count of three, can we say the one table setter that they have on the team? If there was only one. I think they have a couple. But on the count of three, let's say who is their guaranteed table setter. One, two, three. Draymond, Draymond Green. Green. Yeah. And and again, it's you're 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 asking he he's more than capable of doing it, but in his role in Golden State, Steph can also run the team. He can also run the show. He's more than capable of getting other guys involved. You, you still want uh, – this team doesn't have a Chris Paul type. The team doesn't have a LeBron James. They don't have even like a Kyle Lowry, right? Alonzo Ball, somebody that wants that wants to get other guys going, that wants to move the ball around, that doesn't care about getting their shot up. Damian Lillard is a more than capable point guard. He knows how to distribute and create for other guys. But what is his strength? Getting buckets, right? That's what he does, and that's what pretty much everybody on this team does, like you said, except for Draymond Green and – just with the way – with his responsibilities on defense, you don't want him handling the ball full-time. Exactly. So, it's a flawed roster on the men's side. I still – I mean, I know they lost their opener. I still think 
and we'll see how this sounds in a couple of weeks. I still <laughs> think they're going to get it done. I do. I just I believe in KD. I believe in Damian Lillard. I believe in Jason Tatum for as many flaws as roster have. I right. think that the, their talent. I do believe in that, and I think over time they're going to start to figure it out. But it's not it's not one of the most talented American rosters that they've had, and there are holes. And one of the big the gaping hole from the outset was a pure floor general type of point guard or primary ball handler, whatever term you want to use. The women's side has one. The men's doesn't. And that is that is the drastic difference in the way these two teams are com- are comprised of or how they were um, constructed. And I think it's a big part of why you've seen the men struggle so far. And probably why we might see them struggle moving forward as well. Guys, this is dedication in the truest form. Salim Dweck just walked in the building. What's the deal, Salim? You're the greatest, bro. You do not have to be here, and I appreciate you so much for being here. So hopefully we can give you a good a good sounding show for the next 45 minutes or so. Um, I, before we actually move on from the women's national team, I want to highlight three plays really quick. Uh, we talked about Sue Bird. Yeah. Now, there was one play. She threw a half-court lob to Brittany Griner. The following play, she caught Asia – with an outlet pass, mm-hmm. a Kevin Love-esque outlet, outlet pass. And then she caught Brianna Stewart in stride. Those three plays happened consecutively. Yeah, that's what she does. And Advance it was the in ball. that moment I had to snapshot it. And it was like 11 p.m., but I snapshotted it in my mind and looked around and was like, these are the things that in our job, how do I write that? Like, how do I write that this that those three plays? If you watch those three plays, you kind of know what kind of night Sue Bird had. Sure. Just from that. Just from well, she does. Plays. Right? And I guess now is a good time to go ahead and get into the men's team. Uh, you just said that Damian Lillard's best attribute is getting buckets. Of course. Seven threes seems like getting buckets, especially it, in a almost a 60-point win and over that, Iran. And that has to be good for the morale, right? They hadn't had a – Real, I mean, even in the exhibition slate, they took care of Argentina. They, they did their thing against Spain. Obviously, the other two losses um, to Australia and, and Nigeria. Uh, but they hadn't had one of these big, big, big dream team kind of wins, right? Right. And when you, you see the ball going in, everybody's getting playing time. Everybody's getting to touch the rocket. The shots are going up. And, and you're playing good defense. And this is the kind of victory – I think that can maybe springboard this group. Now, again, they're going to face much, much, much better competition down right. the road, right? Iran, um, all due respect, isn't exactly known for their basketball history they, or their basketball tradition. And I'm, I'm going to jump in really quick. right? For, for whatever it's worth, we talked about this team and this makeup. For what you just said about Iran, Hamed Adadi gave them about all they can handle for the first seven minutes of sure, the game. yeah. Yeah. Salim, I love it. You walk in with the fact checks. I love it. But Czech Republic lost by 10 to France tonight, I believe. I think they lost 87 to 77 by – I mean, to, to France. We can, we can triple check that in a second. But, uh, Sam, you can get right back to your point. I'm sorry about that. Um, in speaking about, like you said, their dream team S win, Devin Booker spoke with the media after the game, and Devin Booker said, I think, three separate times – that the first game we were too worried about stepping on each other's toes. Sure. And he said that for the first time he felt like everybody was just more encouraging of everybody to just be involved. Yeah. Be involved in any way that that, that, that they saw fit with that. And Coach Pop kind of has already let everybody know who covers the team that there's going to be a fluid starting lineup. Yeah. There's not going to be a starting lineup that you guys probably see two 
more and probably less likely to even see three times in a row. But Devin Booker was added to that starting lineup, and he produced 16 points, second sure. on the team in scoring. Um, you talk about all the times in terms of just buckets. You look at certain players on this team, and they're just certified bucket getters. I think I know your answer already. I lied. Czech Republic lost by 20 today to France. I'm looking at it right now on the, on the screen. It's 97 to 77. Um, is that going to be enough, as you said before, them just being pure bucket getters against these teams like Slovenia and France that are playing team ball? Well, that's the question, right? And I'm not sure. I, I don't have the answer to that. I think we've seen against other teams like France, several NBA players, and uh, obviously other great players that are capable of playing in the NBA, Nigeria, several NBA players, and Australia, of course, and several NBA players. N not only are these, you know, talent is the talent gap shrinking, but like you said, these teams, these programs are a little bit more cohesive where the, uh, this, this feels like this U.S. team was just thrown together. I don't know. I mean, it depends how much, how much better can you get incrementally. How can you get incrementally better? Can you make improvements with one day between games, with maybe one practice between games without a ton of reps? I, that's what we're going to have to find out. That is the trick because, again, it's a clunky roster. It's a flawed roster, but you have, I mean, just the, the sheer talent you have. You have all NBA players up and down that lineup. You have former MVPs. You have NBA champions. You have finals MVPs. Absolutely. You have scoring champions. You got guys that have put up 50, 60, 70 points in this league. And, of course, you have the easy money sniper. You have KD, who is uh, still a top three player in the world right now. Guaranteed. And, the, you know, the, 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 one of the one of the leaders of this group. So, um, I, I again, I, I think they're going to figure it out. But, you know, I, I, again, not, you know, pardon me for the lukewarm take. But I'm not, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, I just – I don't because these cohesive teams – and you, you see the international style of players a little different. There's no three in the key. Right. You have a couple seven-footers like France did. You can – clog up the lane and, and force the force people to make shots and shoot from the perimeter and make the ball want to move and things like that. So, yeah, other teams I, I think definitely have a chance, but I do believe, and again, maybe this is going to be goofy in two weeks, I do think if I, if I had to guess, I think the U.S.'s talent is going to figure it out and that there's enough great players and coaches on that staff to, to make this thing work when there's such an advantage in talent. Well, you said that you didn't want to have a lukewarm take, so I'm going to give you an even luker warm take. Okay. I don't even know if I can even do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think regardless of how that sounds in two weeks, I think that we can probably say, all things considered, let me knock on some wood, Kevin Durant will be the all-time leading scorer for Team USA after the next game, five points away from tying Carmelo Anthony, six points, and he will be the all-time leading scorer in USA history. I think regardless of everything else, when we talk about Kevin Durant and, and his basketball legacy and, and his Hall of Fame resume and things like that, um, Again, we, we've talked about it before. I don't know Kevin personally, but Kevin does strike me as a person who gives you him when he speaks to you. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is something that Kevin Durant is absolutely going to make sure that it is a, is a feather that's sticking out of his cap in terms of you look at the names that have played for Team USA. Man, legends. For him to be at the top of that, uh, I think that's something that he will, will take a, a great pride in for various reasons. And as he should. It's a testament to his greatness and his greatness in international basketball. It's, he's been great at every level he's played. I mean, great college player, great NBA player, great international player. And I would also love to ask KD, and this is probably something that doesn't need to be asked at this second. Um, eh, maybe not. We'll see what this next press conference looks like. Because I would love to ask Kevin Durant, and, I, and I've never had the opportunity to, he spoke about the draft combine. Yeah. And hearing people laugh after he his, his push-up attempts and – his uh, bench press attempts, and his response to all of that at the, at the moment, he said in his head, he kept saying, just give me a ball. Yeah. I would love to know 
what that would mean for Kevin Durant to be the all-time leading scorer for Team USA and what is perceived, not even perceived, but what is a much more physical league. I mean, yeah, yeah for sure, uh, for sure. I mean, just testament to his skills. I mean, we're talking about per- arguably the most skilled player ever, at, 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 certainly at that size with his handle, his ability to shoot from any spot on the floor, his ability to drive, his ability to pass. Like, he is one of the most skilled, if not the most skilled player to ever pick up a ball. So that wasn't by mistake. Like, he built that. He worked on his game. You know, some guys work on their body. That's fine. Like you said earlier in the show, T., Multiple ways to skin a cat. Like, you, we saw Giannis, who doesn't have the same kind of skill right. as Kevin Durant does, but what you, where he spends his time, a lot of his time, was building his body, and it was extremely effective. He worked equally hard in building his body and his physique as Kevin Durant did in building his skill set. It's just, again, it speaks to how there's multiple ways to dominate a basketball game. So, again, to, to your point, um, it speaks to – it's a testament to, to Katie's greatness and his work ethic and what he's built over the course of his entire life. You know, the last 30 years, what he's built. I like the way you said his entire life and not just the last five or six weeks or so. Um, Salim, you got anything about the Olympics? We went over Naomi Osaka, Katie Ledecky, uh, Simone Biles. We went over the 3 by 3 gold medal for Team USA. Uh Uh-huh. Luca special. I looked at the end of the game. And I, and the bigger bigger than the forty eight, and I think this is what a lot of people aren't paying attention to as well. Luca shot eighteen of twenty nine. Yeah, that's, that's what I can't wrap that's my mind around. I mean, he's. I mean, it's we've seen we saw it. I would say we really saw it last postseason, right? Twenty twenty in the bubble. Like this dude is among the elite of the elite. For sure. Top top five ish player in the world. Period. Well, they're not, they're yeah, they're rolling, right? Japan. Japan. Yeah, that's ball game. Yeah, I was, and I think Goran Dragic, if I recall correctly, is leading that team in score. Tonight he is. Or it's not not Goran, excuse me, Zoran. Zoran Dragic is leading that team in score. And I think he had twenty two last time I looked at it. We're going to give you a little chance to, to, to do some more Florida bragging in a second, but I'm going to answer all of these questions now while we can just get it out of the way. You were talking about concessions in a contract earlier with Caleb Plant and Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, yeah. I have never been more happy to see concessions in a contract in my life than to see Aaron Rodgers get his from Green Bay. <laughs> uh, is this the part where I, where I vent or speak, do I rant? No, what do I do? Speak your piece, man. Speak your piece. I don't even know what to do. Um, all right, so the first place that I'll start with is I've let you guys know plenty of times. That's why I mentioned my fandom for the Angels quite some time. I've said it. If I'm a, if I'm Mike Trout, I'm asking, get me out of here. <laughs> I don't really care to this L.A. I don't care. Whatever. to ca- Get me away from this organization. If I was Aaron Rodgers, I would feel the same way. He does. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. Did you watch his press release? I did, and I wish I didn't. No, it, all right, let me be honest. Um, Somebody tagged me in the presser, and I said uh, it under the comment, and all of it needed to be said. Every single last piece of what Aaron Rodgers said needed to be said. So, first of all, let's highlight what, what, what changes were made in the contract. Essentially, the biggest change 
is Aaron Rodgers is a free agent after this year. Mm-hmm. Now, when I first read that, two things went through my mind. And I said, either way, Aaron Rodgers deserves it. The first thing I was thinking was that this is Aaron Rodgers' last season in Green Bay. If that is the case, I'm going to enjoy every single moment of it, every press conference, every moment he tells us to relax, all of it. And then on the backhand of that, I thought sports has a tendency to come full circle. What happens if Aaron Rodgers turns into Brett Favre and leaves Green Bay wondering who their quarterback is a month before the season, each of the next three years? <laughs> and I said Aaron Rodgers should do that. <laughs> just on principle? On Just on GP. Because <laughs> in my personal opinion, I wouldn't play for Green Bay outside of the season. That's me personally. However, considering the way that he was given a starting job, and it was taken away, and he was given a starting job, and it was taken away, and he was given a starting job, and then it wasn't taken away. I don't know that Aaron Rodgers doesn't do the same exact thing that Brett Favre did. Maybe he does. I mean, maybe he does, right? I mean, he's, he's dabbled. I would say he dabbled a little bit in the Brett Favre territory this year. He didn't go full-blown Favre. I mean, he's his own man, right? obviously. But the frustrations are understandable. I mean, it's just, I get – It's just weird. But the same thing, too, that, that Sam just said earlier when we mentioned Marc-Andre Fleury being traded and his agent saying that he found out on Twitter and things of that nature. Are we going to believe Brett? <laughs> I've told you before, I'm a Packer fan, man, and every time Brett talks, I go. You take it with a grain of salt? Every single time. Care, yeah. I'm not sure that Aaron Rodgers talks to him. I'm not. I, I think Aaron I think that's even worse because I think Brett uh, that that could mean that Aaron Rodgers is force feeding Brett Favre information, knowing he's going to go to the media, and Aaron is just watching everybody toil it. Aaron Rodgers is o- the ultimate pu- puppet master, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're in Wranglers, like we all we already know this. You um, so for me, the in going back to his presser, I've said it for quite some time. He mentioned Casey Hayward. He mentioned Micah Hyde. He mentioned John Kuhn. He mentioned James Jones. He mentioned Randall Cobb, who was back in Green Bay all of a sudden. <laughs> Wonder why. I can think of a couple reasons. And Aaron Rodgers, for me, like I've said for so long, I've told you guys, and in, in, in this is where I do kind of get on Aaron's case. No, literally. But in terms of Aaron Rodgers saying that he didn't, he felt like the game had surpassed uh, Mike McCarthy and things of that nature. I told you guys, I will never forget it. The playoff game in Seattle that Russell Wilson threw the game when it was a beautiful throw. <laughs> and, our, and I worked at Buffalo Wild Wings, and I had a Seattle family at my table. We used to go at it all season long. And when he when he dropped back, I took off my apron and said, game's over. <laughs> and when he threw it, I said, yep, yep. And I walked to the patio before he caught it. And I heard the entire building erupt. <laughs> and I was just like, and I, I was standing on the patio, and everybody knew I was a Packer fan, and they was like, how are you going to walk back in there? I looked at the patio and said, I'm not. <laughs> I'm yo, you guys are server now. I'm not going back in there. 
But in all seriousness, I mentioned that to say there was one time earlier or one point earlier in that game, I think it was early in the second half, where it was a it was a third and seven, something like that. The call was a halfback draw. Aaron Rodgers ran the play, looked at the sideline, and motioned and said, what the f- – and I did the exact same thing at home and said, Aaron, you have the final call. So at what point do you take trying to prove your point to trying to just win the game? Well, I mean, I think that's – remember, you know, the, when he would call his own players under McCarthy? Absolutely. I mean, he was doing that for a while. and. You know, credit to the organization. I mean, Matt, Le- Matt LaFleur has been awesome. It really 100%. feels like there's a rapport there that didn't exist with Mike McCarthy. Now, we'll see if that may- continues to manifest itself during the 2021 season based on everything that happened. But right. from what we've been able to glean b- b- via the reporting throughout the course of summer, via Aaron Rodgers' press conference today, it's not the coaches, it's not the personnel that he's ever had an issue with. It's the organization. Absolutely. Management. It's the way he's treated by management. That's been the point of contention, right? Like, like you, like you touched on, there's locker room dynamics. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers is close to these guys. Right. They've proven that a lot of them can still play when they leave the franchise. They go elsewhere and still perform. Maybe not to the level they did in Green Bay, but they still perform. And that's got to be – you know, there's, there's, a, there's a human element and a human dynamic to that. So, I think that's worth mentioning too. And a lot of the names that I just thought about, I didn't even get to a lot of the bigger names. He mentioned Jordy Nelson. He mentioned Charles Woodson. He mentioned Clay Matthews. He mentioned Jabril Peppers. Uh, or I said Jabril Peppers. Julius Peppers, excuse me. Um, he mentioned just a lot of names that – even me as a Packer fan was like, man, we did have Julius Peppers, didn't we? J-Pep. I do too. <laughs> as a Packer fan, I forgot. So, as I said before, I'm excited to see what this Aaron Rodgers, uh, what I believe to be his final dance in, in, in Green Bay, what I mean, it looks you saw like. The, you saw the posts? Yeah. And <laughs> Okay, so here's the thing for me, and I mentioned it on Sunday, that wasn't that hard to crack for me. I don't know why everybody was sending me that post like, man, what does he mean? What does he mean? It's his last dance. Like, I don't think it was that hard. Well, Devontae Adams is a free agent, too. So that's where we're going next. Why shouldn't he be? How many other ways do you want me to say it? Like, honestly, and, and even if you do not think that Devontae Adams earned that money, Go watch the game that the Packers had against the Rams. I should say go listen to that game, rather. Devontae Adams said, I want you every – he was talking to Jalen Ramsey and said, "You no, you follow me. Anywhere I go, I want you there. <laughs> I said, fam, that's Jalen Ramsey. I mean, De- Devontae Adams, I mean, he's just complete – what can he do? He gets deep. He's, he's got, he runs the crispiest routes in the league. Who has better he's, feet in the league? I know Antonio Brown is still here, but he hasn't played a full season in quite some time. Who has better feet nobody. in the league? And on top of that, right, he has the best feet. He's like the best it. route runner. He has enough speed to separate, to get deep. And he's got great ball skills. He's got, but ball skills are as good as they come. I mean, have you seen the videos of him when he was at Fresno State doing the East Bay Funk Dunk? Unbelievable. Getting up. And he's 220. He's strong. He's going to box you out. There's no – he has no weaknesses in his game right now. In his prime, 28 years old, yeah, it is. He's I good. truthfully think it is. I and do too. Salim has said something quite some time. I believe – you can correct me if I'm wrong if you didn't say it, Sam did it. Or not Sam, uh, Tyler did. But, but I know for a fact that I've heard it before and it's come from somebody on staff. One of us believes that he's coming here. And they believe that it will be some sort of 
reunion between Devontae Adams and Derek Carr, of course, who both went to Fresno State. I mean, Derek Carr hasn't been shy about putting it out there. <laughs> I don't know what else we're supposed to do with that. Uh, Devontae Adams. I was like, we have Devontae Parker too? I, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I do think that's why it's a little easier to make the Aaron Rodgers decision. And, well, in terms of what I said, in terms of me believing that Aaron Rodgers is leaving, because we talked about Aaron Rodgers' post, but that post was posted simultaneously with Devontae Adams. Last dance. Both posting that last dance. In my mind, as I said before, I'm about, like you said before, like you said uh, a second ago, and Salim pretty much just hammered the, uh, the nail right now. I'm about 100% sure. I, I guess you can't be 100% sure until it happens. So I'm 98% sure that Devontae Adams will no longer be with the Packers after this year. And because of that, I think that this entire Packer roster looks a little different. Next oh, year. for sure. If you do, you should come to Westgate. I'm trying. You think you're funny. Um, I got 25 minutes left, and I'm not going to let you get under my skin. I promise you. Uh, Randall Cobb. We, we just mentioned somebody earlier, uh, and I'm not even going to say the name right now because Salim can, can brag in a second. But somebody mentioned earlier that they were going home, and Randall Cobb said the same thing when he announced that the trade was finalized and that the Packers were sending a six-round pick to Houston, and Randall Cobb was getting sent back to Green Bay. Salim just said it, getting the band back together. As I said before, guys, all of these moves continue to lead me to believe that Aaron Rodgers would no longer be uh, with the Green Bay Packers unless the love that I have for B.J. Rodgers is amazing. And the fact that you know – all right, never mind. If you're watching this right now on Instagram Live, you just caught what Sam did, and, and yes, it was amazing. It was amazing because my fandom for B.J. Rodgers was out of this world, beyond out of this world. Um, I think one condition that Aaron Rodgers returns to Green Bay, and this is the funny part because did you guys have you guys ever watched this Magic Moment, the documentary uh about Shaq and Penny? No, uh, yeah, for sure. So you did yeah, watch? Yeah, it was fire. So the this Magic Moment, Shaq said he was talking to Dennis Scott, and Dennis Scott said that at some point when you're the star of a team got to kind of start the we, we talk about it all the time in terms of dragging your but in terms of walking around as if you got your resume stamped to, stamped to your chest and when 3d told Shaq that Shaq said that he didn't really know what he meant right 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 and he said all of a sudden while he's shooting blue chips he sees Penny Hardaway and he said he goes to asking everybody is this dude an actor like who is this and everybody tells him they they expect him to go number one overall so he said immediately he goes over to the front office and he tells them, hey, if you guys don't draft Penny, I'm out of here when my contract is up. I'm telling you right now. Absolutely. And Shaq said that draft night, he watched Chris Webber get drafted. He said, and he goes to breaking everything in his house. He said, I, no, I don't. I do not wish I could be there. As a person who's met Shaq a couple times, I don't want to be there. Um, and then he said he got the call the morning after, saying that it was done, that the, the penny for Chris Webber trade was, was finished. And he said that's when he looked at 3D and said, all right, I'm going to see what happens. He said, and then his next move after that was going to the front office and said, I need Horace Grant. 
he said the front office told him we can't afford Horace Grant. Shaq's response was, you have to afford Horace Grant or I'm out of here when my contract is up. We all know where Horace Grant landed. So I say all of that to say, <laughs> yes, and I believe Aaron Rodgers is going to do something similar in terms of just seeing how much he can get away with. If Aaron Rodgers is able to get Green Bay's general, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the last name, I think because I uh, I, I want to kind of go over it before the show still before I say it because I've pronounced it wrong too many times. If Aaron Rodgers can get Green Bay's general manager fired, I do believe Aaron Rodgers goes to Brett Favre route and is unsure of his, of, of his, of his future every year before coming back to Green Bay. Well, I believe Aaron Rodgers has one goal this season. I should say two goals, and that's A, win a Super Bowl, B, I'm not even sure if this is simultaneous, but it's get the general manager fired. I mean, he's been trying to do that for six months. Which is the weirdest thing in the world, but remember when LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, I almost said LeBron just went to the finals, but remember when the Cleveland Cavaliers went to the finals, and as soon as the finals was over, they said that David Blatt was fired? And I said, how many other ways can LeBron tell the league I made it there in spite of him? Well, I think it's not uncommon for your superstar to have some input on the roster. And the fact that Aaron Rodgers, based on what we know, has been excluded from having input on the roster is – Insane. I mean, you th- yeah, it is. Makes no sense. Nobody's saying he's got to call all the shots. I am. He just has to have some – you know – Opinion on on decisions that affect my job is what he said. Yeah, the yeah yeah yeah. Uh, I want to say it was uh, Kumaro, and he ended up in Buffalo. And he ended up in Buffalo. And before that, too, Aaron Rodgers had just boosted him up the week before they cut him. Yeah. That's the thing that kind of gets me, and I told you guys before. If I'm trying my best not to not to go the Chicago Bulls route, but we know the way that they picture Jerry Krause. God bless the dead. I'm so happy that Aaron Rodgers said that people come here to play with me. I mean, he's not wrong, is he? Why do we so. have to say these things? Why do we? Who else is going to Green Bay for any reason? Relax. Now you're going a bit far. Now I need you to rein it in just a little bit. Matter of fact, I'm switching topics. I'm out here. Speaking of rein it in, let's go to Houston. Um, Deshaun Watson reported. Uh, shout out to my OG Steve Weiss, who's actually in Houston right now, doing all of the coverage for NFL Network for the Houston Texans. Um, another situation where we don't really see it changing in the next two, three weeks, let alone months. Um. Deshaun Watson has let it be known that he wants to be traded. For sure. Tyrod Taylor um, has taken majority of the first uh, team reps. Deshaun Watson has mainly participated in his individual activities. He obviously let it be known that he's only showing up, so he does not get fined. I just want to know where you guys' brain is on the situation. Well, we still have the off-the-field situation, right? Like, that's looming? That's looming over all of Houston. I mean, I'm not if I'm not making a move for Deshaun Watson until that's cleared up one way or the other, right? And again, these are very, very, very serious allegations. Hundred percent. That 
yeah, they're being discussed, but that's, again, that's the, the cloud over the entire situation. I'm not pulling the trigger. If I'm an opposing team, I'm not giving up five first-round picks for a guy that might be in big trouble and not be of the kind of character that you want your franchise, want to represent your franchise, period. Absolutely. Period. That's, that's football secondary. Hmm. Don't sit right with you. <laughs> They've done worse to you, I think. Well, maybe not. And that would be yours. And, and we just, I don't know what it is with our sports breaking points, but I said it earlier. I said Albert Pujols was mine for the Angels earlier. Uh, this probably should be mine for the Packers, shouldn't it? Um, but it, let, let's talk about it for what it is. You just talked about it. Both of you guys just kind of spoke on it so perfectly. We don't know what's going to happen. And me and Salim, we went over this, what, two weeks ago? I asked you, I said, is Deshaun Watson even eligible to play this year? And you told me when uh, the, the, the trial is originally supposed to start. And I, I, it sounds weird to say it, but I guess I could say to his credit, I'm not sure if that even sounds crazy, but he has remained very st- uh, firm in he's going to prove his, in- his innocence. February. That's, the, that's what you gave me. So as I told you before, I don't see a situation where Deshaun Watson is out of Houston this year. I just don't see one. This year? Well, if there's one thing about the if NFL. If he's not playing, what are you giving up? If there's, one, if there's one thing about the NFL, it's like if you're good at football, that trumps all, right? I mean, we've been very, very, very few exceptions. But if you're good at football, you're going to get another opportunity. Everything, again, the, the allegations are what they are. We know how serious they are. We know that if these are proven to be true, how reprehensible everything is. Absolutely. With that said, Deshaun Watson's good at football. He's really, really good at football. He's really good at playing quarterback. And to Salim's point, that's what matters more to teams, like a lot of them. Right. As we've seen over the course of not just of decades. Uh oh. But what if But what if that wasn't on video? Well, for what it's worth, the NFL had the video and didn't make a move until we saw it. Yeah. So, we already know what happens if there was no video. He will for sure. He will be. Absolutely, he will be. I I just find it hard to believe that a team makes this move, similar to what Sam just said. Um, I don't think a team pulls the trigger and gives up, like they said, five either high-end draft picks or um, Pro Bowl caliber stars. players, yeah. young young starters, whatever they wanted. Huh? Why, though? Because that, that bothers me more than anything. He's probably – That bothers me. I don't know. If that's the reasoning, that bothers me a lot. I can see him. 
You give it to me. Is this, he getting traded this year? Before the, uh, before the season. Six weeks. Yeah, five weeks. I said no during the season, so I'm absolutely saying no to offseason. Give me yours. That he gets traded? Yep. At any point this I plead season. the fifth. Nah, nah, I'm not letting you get away with it. Give me a percentage. I think 50 50. Okay. Yeah, I think it's Damn, he still, still went middle with the field. Um, See what I did there? Anything else? Do we have anything else? Do we have anything else? Salim, the things that you. I'm uh, I'm gonna give you at the Westgate. Definitely got to place your best at the Westgate. Again, you you guys know we can't bet because of what we do. However, if you were to place your bets on defensive rookie of the year, J.C. Horn. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, let's go ahead and move forward with it. I would have said Micah Parsons, but everybody is keying in on him right now as one of the favorites to win uh, defensive rookie of the year. So I'm gonna switch it up and go J.C. Horn. <coughs> Um, Salim, you missed it earlier, but we talked about Mark Andre Fleury being traded. We talked about uh, the Las Vegas Aviators and some of the moves that they've made. And I'm going to give you a brief moment, man, before we get out of here. We'll probably get out of here a little earlier than 12 tonight. But first of all, watch your words. That's first. Yeah, it's a little, just, 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 just a little spice, just a little spice on it. Because, like I said before, man, it you don't – how do I say this? <laughs> We're not supposed to have favorites, quote unquote. But as I said before, when you're embedded with a team, you get to know people one on one. And Salim, you we've we've talked about this story that I've written about Jesus Lusardo and him being from Parkland, Florida, and him wanting to make his community proud. And that was one of the quotes that really just stick out from that story. He said that bigger than baseball, bigger than individual accomplishments, bigger than championships, he said he wants his city and community to always remember him as a guy that they can count on. Yeah. That's big, it's bigger than baseball. So, Salim, I'm going to give you a brief moment because we had a brief text interaction today. And I told you, considering that – well, you gave me the considering. But I told you, considering the way that this trade went, one for one, regardless of what Starlin Marte does for the Oakland Athletics, I think that the Miami Marlins won this trade today. Give me what you – Give me your analysis of the situation and give me how happy you are un or unhappy. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Salim, you texted me something that <laughs> – I said it earlier on the show because I didn't expect you to come here, so I'll say it again in front of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you, you've proven to be a man of your word. Um, I'll be honest with you, man. When you told me that all things considered, this deal may turn out to be a two-month rental for Starling Marte. Especially when you, well, whatever. We'll get to They're specifics. Going for it. You have to. Yeah. But here's the deal. And, Salim, this is where you and me and, and our text was, was right there. You mentioned that they were making a run earlier as well. As I said before, oh, Salim, I'm going to give you some, some – uh, another that's out there now that I read earlier, but I'm going to read it for you again because 
Jesus Lusardo was under contract until the tw- until after the 2026 season. 23 years old. Jesus Lusardo started the wild card game for the Oakland Athletics two seasons ago and put the baseball world on notice. Team president of the Aviators, Don Logan, told me that he felt that was his major league coming out party. And now he's going back home to Miami. Um, Salim, this is the that's out there now I want to give to you really quick. Do you know that Derek Jeter Jeets. and Kim Ainge – do you know that Derek Jeter, uh, this, is a, this is allegedly, allegedly asked for Jesus Lusardo to be included in this trade as a joke? An Oakland bit. And according to this report that I actually took a screenshot from earlier, Derek Jeter laughed uncontrollably for 20 minutes following the trade. I, believe it. I 100% believe it. I 100% believe it. I'm going to be honest, Salim. Do you think with the way, and we'll, we'll probably get out of here with this one, do you think with the way that the baseball world has reacted to it, do you think Oakland would redo it if they had the chance? Or would undo it, rather, if they had the chance? No. I think everything that's been going on, they can get excited and they can do it. The Marlins didn't do it that way. Yeah, for sure. You're not going to resign them. Yeah, you're not going to resign them. You get a young pitcher? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't wrap my head around that. You just said it. A 23-year-old left-handed starting pitcher who throws north of 95 miles an hour. I can't get it. Why not? Yeah. And like Sam said earlier with the Vegas Golden Knights, winning trumps all, right? Yeah. If sure. the Athletics win, nobody cares, right? Did you just say my? Yeah. I like Tatis, too. Did this clubhouse just catch on fire? <laughs> but you said my. But you said my. Like, that's, my only, that's, my only, that's my only issue with what you just said. There we go. Stick with it. Stick with it. Sam, you got to pick a minor league baseball team and rock with us. I got the Aviators. He got Albuquerque. St. Paul Saints, man. All right. Not T. Now. I don't know why I did that. Twin Cities, man. <laughs> T, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Always. My guy. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking.